you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. From our mistakes and our sins, and we're asking that you would restore an intimacy to us this morning. Wherever people are at, wherever they're tuned into this broadcast, God, would you speak in power right now through your word? And it is in the matchless name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Thank you. You can grab a seat. As I said uh, at the beginning of this broadcast, we're going to talk about hope. And not just hope, we're going to talk about the power of hope. How much of a difference hope really makes in a person's life. Because the truth is... Every single person that's ever quit school, everybody who's ever given up on a job, everyone who's ever declared bankruptcy, everyone who's ever filed for divorce, listen to how powerful this one word is, everyone who's ever tried suicide, they've all got to the same point in life. They've all lost one simple but very powerful moment. Because they've all lost hope. Chances are, somebody else was in the exact same circumstances at school and they didn't give up. Somebody was in the same circumstances at work or in their finances or in their marriage and they didn't give up. Somebody else was going through the same personal problems and they didn't throw in the towel. Because of this one tiny but mighty word. The word that we're describing today is H-O-P-E. It's the word hope. And here's what I want you to hear before we even get into the Bible and into the book of John today. Hope is powerful enough. So powerful, in fact, that you can hold on through anything when you hold on to hope. There's an Italian proverb that says, the last thing you'll ever lose is hope you got hope, you still have something left. When you lose hope, you've really just officially lost everything. And I kind of want to describe this sentence that's on the screens for you right now, because what I'm not suggesting is that hope will make all of your problems go away. In fact, what you're going to hear from the Bible today, what we're just going to tackle head first is that those problems are real and they're very powerful, but hope is the thing that gets you through the problems in life, when you hold on to hope. If you hold on to the wrong things, they will let you down. And then the problems of life become so overwhelming that you will lose hope. And what I want to do for just a few moments with you this morning is I want to describe how do you hang on when the problems of life feel so big and so overwhelming that I feel like I can't go on tomorrow. I'm about to throw in the towel. Well, you're going to hear from the Bible a couple, of story, or a couple of examples where Jesus is offering people hope. And some of them in the crowd, I think, can hear it and they grasp for it. But some of them can't. The reason why is because they're holding on to the wrong thing. In many cases, they're holding on to their traditions. They're holding on to what they can see around them, what they can touch with their hands, what they can hear with their ears, and it's going to let them down. Jesus promises today that those things are going to let you down. So I want to show you three very simple but very powerful ways that hope will make a difference in your life this year. 
First, I want you to know that you're going to face problems. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I'm going to go through problems. You're going to go through problems. Some of us over the coming year are going to go through some really big problems in life. But no problem in life is bigger than the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deal with, which means hope is more powerful than your problems when your problems are rightly placed on the correct person. Now, if you're tuned in and you're new to Two Cities Church, I need to explain the name Two Cities for just a second. For those of you who are gathered with us in this room, it's not referring to Columbus, Georgia and Phoenix City, Alabama, these two cities that are separated by state lines and a river. The two cities that this church is named after are separated by much more than the Chattahoochee River and state lines. Jesus is a man who lives on planet earth, walking in the eternal city when this passage takes place. But he is also the son of God who has his vision on the eternal city. And these are the two cities that our church is named after. This earthly city that we all live in right now, but the eternal city that God's people are longing for, looking forward to. And that can give us hope when the earthly city seems really miserable. And here's what's going on when we pick up in John chapter 8 today. We're going to start in verse 21. Jesus is speaking to a crowd. Last week, we learned how he declared himself to be the light of the world that can push back any darkness. And some people in the crowd are now going to wrestle with what Jesus just said about himself And they're going to ask Jesus some hard questions about who he really is. We're going to start in John chapter 8. We'll begin in verse 21, and we're going to read through a couple of more verses today. Here's how the story picks up for us. John 8, 21. Then he, Jesus, said to them again, let me describe the them, the them on the screens. There's a crowd of people. Some people in the crowd are hearing what this rabbi has to say. It's starting to click in their minds, and they're starting to think, I, I, I kind of believe who this guy is, and I'm about to make the decision to follow him, literally to place my hope in him. Others in the crowd, specifically some religious leaders, are hearing what this rabbi is saying, and they're taking great offense to it, and so they want to discredit him. You got both of those people in the them word on the screens for you when Jesus starts this statement. Listen to what he says. I'm going away, and you will look for me, and, and, you, uh, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said again, he won't kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And the language that Jesus is using today is life or death important kind of language. They're listening to what he has to say, and some of them are starting to say, I I think I've heard what he has to say, and I think I'm ready to follow him. In fact, Jesus is actually describing, some of you are looking to follow me, and some of you are not going to make it where I'm going, and here's why. You're going to die in your sins. The language that Jesus uses is so powerful and so profound I want you to just do me a favor, will you? 
right there wherever you're at, just stop what you're doing for a second. I want you to, in your mind, imagine that you're on a cruise ship heading across the Pacific Ocean. You got this in your mind for a second? You took this Christmas cruise. You're going to spend the next 10 days just cruising across the Pacific, and you're on the deck looking out over this huge, vast uh, expanse of water, and you fall off and nobody notices. Are you picturing this in your mind for a second? The boat keeps going, and you're by yourself, and nobody noticed that you fell over the shore. Now picture that the waves start to crash in, and you're swimming as hard as you can, but there is no land in sight. You can swim literally until you die of exhaustion. You're never, ever going to make it to the shore. And nobody on the boat knows that you fell over the side. So nobody's coming back to get you. Do you have this desperation in your mind right now? That's the exact word that Jesus uses when he talks about dying in your sin. In fact, I really wish the people that translated the Bible into English used the word drowned instead of dying because he is talking about drowning in a vast body of water. But the way that you're going to drown is not because you've committed so many sins that they're like an ocean. Actually, what he's saying is that our sin is so terrible. One sin, one time, and that is so terrible that you are so far away from God that swim as hard as you can, spend the rest of your life trying to make up the difference. You wouldn't even make a dent in the distance between a holy God and a sinful man like me or a sinful woman like you. And Jesus is saying, you're going to try to come after me, and you're going to drown in that sin that you've committed because there is no hope for you. There's no hope for you if you're going to try to make your way, earn your way, work your way to heaven by swimming as hard as you can in this ocean of debt between you and God, this vast difference between a sinful human and a perfectly sinless God. And every single person, the truth is, every single person that I've ever met who's ever lost hope, they've lost hope because they have placed their hope in the wrong place place their hope in themselves or in others around them. This is so, the language is so stark that when the, the people in the crowd hear it, they're asking a question, is Jesus about to kill himself? Is this suicide that he's talking about here? And in Jesus's day, the Jews believed that you had to bring a sacrifice to the temple every time you committed a sin. So if you sinned but hadn't sacrificed yet, you were going to die in your sin. And taking your own life was a sin that you were not able to repent from, meaning it was a sin that there was no forgiveness for. Not arguing whether or not somebody gets into heaven after taking their own life. That's a theological discussion for another day. What I'm arguing is that when people get to the end of their rope and they're ready to take their own life, please hear me, I'm not being flippant right now. They have all come to the same place. They've all lost hope. I have spent my entire adult life around men who have taken their own lives. And every single instance, it's always been the same reason. 
In fact, every expert in the military in America today is spending truckloads of money and all of the brain power that we have at our disposal to try to stop a crisis of suicide among the military and veterans in our country, and nothing is making a dent on it. It's at the highest levels in the history of our country, and every time it happens, please hear me, it happens because you've placed hope in the wrong spot, and that hope has let you down. And when you've lost hope, this Italian proverb is true, you've lost it all. When you've lost hope, Jesus is challenging people, don't place your hope in the wrong places. I need you to put your hope in something that is bigger than your biggest problems, something that will not let you down. I need you to place your hope in something that will defeat your enemy and win your battles for you, which is basically what we're going to read next in the Bible. Jesus is reminding us, when you hope in me, you're placing your hope in something or someone that is bigger than your greatest battles, your biggest challenges. Listen to how this story continues in verse 23. Jesus says, you religious leaders are from below. I and from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins, for you did not believe that I am he. If you don't believe that, you will die in your sins. Jesus is describing the difference that genuine powerful hope makes when you place your hope in the one that doesn't come from here, the one that comes from above. He's reminding them, you're putting your hope in yourself, and I'm telling you right now, it's going to let you down. You're going to let you down, and your hope is ultimately going to be the thing. You're, because you're placing your hope in yourself, it's going to be the thing that's going to lead to your destruction and literally lead to hell. These religious leaders were hoping by being a good person that my sins are going to go away and that I'm going to be okay. And Jesus is telling them, it doesn't work like that. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the religious leaders, you have no hope, is what he would tell the crowd at another point as they're following him. And they're saying, how is that even possible? How could we possibly be more righteous than the professional religious leaders of our day? And he's saying, you got to place your hope in something that is bigger than here. See, what he's really describing for us right now is all of us have this tendency to reach out and to hope or to grab a hold of something that is right in front of our face when we're struggling. It's natural. It's not a bad tendency. It's just going to let you down. And just Think about this with me for a second. If the stuff that was right here in front of you, right here on planet Earth, could help you, it wouldn't let you down. The fact that you get let down time and time again is the proof that what you have in front of your face cannot really give you hope that transcends all of your battles. Something bigger than the battles of life has to be the thing that you hope in or else you're going to get let down. I'm going to prove it to you. This is not meant to be political. I feel, unfortunately, like I have to make this disclaimer up front. Everyone in the world, every single human being on earth has been let down in the last year and a half or two years. We've all 
been let down by something that we were hoping was going to stop this virus. It's now December 2021, and every human being on earth somehow, some way, hoped that by washing my hands, I would slow this virus. Hoped that by social distancing, it would start to slow the spread. Hoped that by wearing masks that we would be able to conquer this virus. We hoped that by getting an injection or, or taking the, all of the medical experts' advice that the, the virus would be over by now. I don't think there's any human being on the planet that really believed in December of 2021 we would be at the record levels with this virus that we're in, and all of us have been let down along the way. Because all of us have been hoping in something that's temporary and something that's in front of our face to fix what all of humanity is struggling with. And I'm using the COVID virus not to be political with you. I'm using the COVID virus as an example. What Jesus is saying is all of humanity is stuck in sin. No one can rescue you out of your sin. Something outside of humanity, something that's bigger than all of humanity has to step in and rescue you or else there is no hope for humanity. If there's no hope for these religious leaders, then there's no hope for you. There's no hope for me. Something bigger then humanity has to step in and rescue humanity. And that's why Jesus stands in front of them and he says, I didn't come from here where you came from. I came from heaven. I'm bigger than humanity and I can step in and I can rescue humanity from the one thing that all humankind is destined for. Death and eternal separation from God because all of us have sinned. Last weekend... About a week ago, I was talking to two ladies as our church was handing out Christmas gifts. I heard something that absolutely devastated me. It broke my heart. As we were handing gifts out free to these two women and to their children, as we were wrapping these gifts, I started having a spiritual conversation with them. And I started to just explain, hey, can I tell you why Two Cities Church is in your neighborhood today? Can I tell you why we're giving away free gifts to people that we don't know so that you can have an awesome Christmas? And their answer was, yes, please tell me why. And then I asked them, can I tell you about the greatest gift that I've ever been given? The gift of forgiveness of my sins and my soul transformed by Jesus Christ. And both of these ladies said, oh, I got that. I was like, really, can you explain to me a little bit more about how this happened for you or when this happened for you? Y'all, I'm not exaggerating now. When I tell you these two grown women started to give me very popular church answers. In fact, when one started to talk, the other woman completed her sentence almost every time. I've been blessed, the other girl says, to be a blessing to others. I serve a good God, and the other woman says he's good all of the time. And they have all of the church language that I have ever heard they can recite back and forth. And I was like, that's awesome, but can we talk about your soul and your eternity right now? And I asked both of these women, can you tell me about the moment that Jesus Christ radically changed your soul by exchanging his blood for your sin and giving you a new soul and a new life, eternal life? Pause for effect. I am not exaggerating when I say this next. They're, both of these women, their exact words were, 
I've never heard that before in my life. What broke my heart is these women have heard preachers saying popular phrases so often that they have memorized it and complete each other's sentences. But when I asked them about a soul-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ, both of these women looked me in the eyes and said, I've never heard anybody explain this to me before in my life. And it hurt me so bad that these women have been to church but never come to Christ. Because nobody has ever explained to them, you can't be good enough that a few simple Christian phrases are going to change your soul. You can't work hard enough that you could make a difference in your own eternity. If that were possible, what Jesus is saying today is a lie. There's no need for him to leave heaven and come to earth. There's no reason for the blood sacrifice on the cross and his death and resurrection. If what you ladies are saying is true, but you've never gone through this soul-transforming, born-again experience with Jesus Christ. They looked me in the eyes and said, I've never heard this, and that's never happened to me. And what broke my heart is that somebody was offering these women, I'm just going to say it, a false gospel, and they were offering them false hope. The same kind of false hope that these religious leaders were hoping in. When Jesus stood in front of them and said, you ain't getting into heaven by being a good man. It doesn't work that way. Only the one who came from heaven can make you righteous and perfect in the eyes of my father and make it possible for you to get to heaven with me. It broke my heart that these two women know all of the church words, but they don't know Christ. And basically, what they've been hearing because billions of people, that's with a B, not an M, billions of people around the world have been believing religion can save you. And they've been believing a lie. And I need you to hear in a hope that is louder than the lies that life would throw at you. You were created by God. He and he alone started your heart beating in your mother's womb, which means only God should be able to tell you who you are as a human, should be able to read the, the condition of your own heart. Nobody else on the planet can tell you what God can tell you about you. And here's what that means. That means that you're not nearly as awful as people that hate you claim you are. And unfortunately, I have to tell you, you're not nearly as awesome as the people who love you and tell you you're awesome claim you are. God in heaven alone should be able to tell his people what we really are like in his sight. And his is the only opinion that matters. Jesus is going to make this perfectly clear. I don't listen to other voices. I don't listen to the lies. I am focused on one voice and on pleasing him, that's my father in heaven. This is the part of the story where you see Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday all in one sermon. The reason why we're still using Christmas graphics on December 26th is because of what you read next. John chapter 8, starting in verse 25. Jesus makes this statement about coming from 
heaven. And now the religious leaders are confused. And so they just ask, point blank, who are you? They question. Exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning, Jesus told them. I have many things to say and to judge about you, but the one who sent me is true. Speaks the truth, is perfectly true, can never lie. So what comes from the Father must be the truth, no matter what you hear from anybody else. That's what Jesus is saying. And what I have heard from him, the Father, these things I tell the world. They didn't know he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you lift the Son of Man up, okay, pause. When he says, I'm from heaven, that's Christmas language. Now he's going to talk about Good Friday and Easter language. When you lift up the Son of Man, referring to himself, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own. But just as the Father has taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me, Christmas, is with me. He has not lifted me, or he has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. The lift me up language, you cannot miss it from this passage. Jesus already knows months or years beforehand that he's going to the cross and that some of those religious leaders in this crowd are going to pass judgment and condemn him to die. He already knows years or months beforehand that he is coming out of the tomb and going back to the Father. And when he uses lift me up language, he's talking about when you lift me up on the cross and when God the Father lifts me back up to heaven. When those things happen, then you're going to know exactly who's standing in your midst. But right now, you can't see it. Because right now, you're listening with the, to the wrong voice and you're looking with just your eyes. And you can't see what the Father is trying to show you in your soul. One of the greatest church leaders of all time, a guy by the name of Augustine, um, St. Augustine, made a statement about this passage. He said, you know, the proof of the gospel is that some of those guys who Jesus said, you will condemn me, you will judge me, and I will be lifted up in your eyes. I will go to the cross. Some of those guys who passed judgment on him and claimed that he was a heretic, read the book of Acts, will hear about his resurrection, will see his power at work, and they will fall down on their knees. And they will declare he really was the son of God. He really was the savior of all humanity. And those, some of those men who judged him would eventually become followers of him later on. It was after his death and resurrection and after his disciples started to turn the world upside down that some of those religious leaders would fall on their knees before him and grab onto him as their hope instead of onto their own um, good works. I said a moment ago, billions of people around the world are believing in religion to save them. They're hoping that by doing these things, by being good in God's sight, by not doing these things and avoiding being bad in God's sight, that I'm going to make my way into heaven. And they're placing hope in something earthly. 
that earthly hope can never give you eternal life. If it were possible for that earthly hope to give you eternal life, if you could be good enough, I try to say to these ladies at Riverview Apartments, is that there was no reason for Jesus to leave heaven that Christmas morning. There was no reason for Jesus to go to the cross on that Good Friday. There was no reason for Jesus to come back out of the tomb on that Easter Sunday and to return to the Father in heaven when he ascended from the Mount of Olives. There was no reason for that to happen if you or I could be good enough that we could hope in our own efforts. The hope that we place our trust in right here on earth, I promise you 100%, will let you down. But if you will place your hope in something bigger than what this earth has to offer, something bigger than what you see around you, listen to me, something bigger than your own good works and your own efforts, if you'll place your hope in Jesus Christ, it will never let you down. And just to drive this home, before I issue a challenge to us, I got a short video about hope. And then I'm going to come back up here and challenge you in a couple of areas from what you've heard from the Bible today. So check out this video, will you? As I was preparing this sermon this week, three categories of people really came to my mind. In fact, I've got some next steps on the screen for those three categories of people. There's first that person that has been really struggling and really hoping and Things are not getting better. They're getting worse. This is the second bullet on the screens, and they're starting to lose hope. Or maybe things got so bad this year that they've already lost hope. They're feeling desperate. And no matter how much you try, things aren't turning around. Well, I want to pray for you in just a second. If you're the person that's struggling and starting to or have already lost hope, I want to pray for you. Maybe you're the first person on the screens and you've been listening to what others have said about you and some people have said some things that have really hurt you this year. And you've been listening to the wrong voices. I'm gonna pray that you would tune every other earthly voice out so that you could turn into the only voice that matters, the eternal voice, your creator in heaven who loves you and created you and longs to have intimacy with you and that you would walk in his truth instead of listening to the lies that others may be saying around you. I really believe that maybe somebody who's watching this online has come to this moment where they have in their mind 
pictured themselves drowning in an ocean of sin. Not that I've committed so many sins that it can fill up an entire ocean. That one sin is like falling off the cruise ship in the middle of the Pacific, and there's no way that any human being can swim to the shore. And so I'm swimming, and as hard as I try, I'm not making any headway. I'm going to drown in this sin, and maybe this is the moment where God brought you to a sense of hopelessness so that he could reveal that hope in him and him alone can change you. But until you get to this moment of hopelessness, you will never reach out to Jesus and turn it all over to him in exchange for his rescue. So maybe you had to get this hopeless in order to find real hope. I'm praying that for all of us in 2022, that you will follow Jesus' example. And you would say, I only listen to the voice of my father. There's only one voice that matters. I am following that voice. And this year, I'm going to live in such a way that pleases him. I am going to forget about what I'm interested in, not concern myself about me or myself. I'm going to live for the glory of my father. And by doing that, I believe I'll have a better year in 2022 than I did in 2021. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.